0: For as the light of the morning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, and covereth the whole earth, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Therefore sanctify yourselves, that your minds become single to God, and the days will come that you shall see him. For he will unveil his face unto you, and it shall be in his own time, and in his own way, and according to his own will. This is unveiling Jesus Christ. welcome to another podcast on unveiling jesus christ we find ourselves at the uh, end of january of 2024 we're already down to the last two verses in uh, revelation chapter one which just confirms the old saying that time flies when you're having fun (laughs) so today we're going to be talking about uh, revelation 1 verses 19 and 20. Uh, Since we're covering these two verses and some of it is a little bit redundant with some of the information we've already talked about uh, in prior verses, this is going to be a relatively uh, short podcast, so you can breathe a a sigh of relief about that, I suppose. But uh, fasten your seatbelts because uh, we're going to get going and uh, you'll need to remain in your seats uh, securely fastened until the captain's turned off the seatbelt sign and the aircraft... Has come to a complete stop so uh, I'm John Cassinette I welcome you to another uh, podcast on unveiling Jesus Christ and we're gonna jump right in to uh, Revelation chapter 1 verse 19 which says quote write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter close quote notice in this verse that John is directed to write three different things while he's still in the Spirit. From prior podcasts, you'll recall that John was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, which was Sunday, the first day of the week. And while in the Spirit, he started receiving this information while still in the Spirit. I'm not sure that he wrote everything on that one day, but he was still in the Spirit as he's now given charge to write the things On three separate subject matters his first charge was to write the things which thou hast seen Uh, this notice how the verb tense is past tense so things that he has seen already in the past that would consist of his vision of Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 1 up to this point in his vision the second charge that he's given is to write the things which are Notice the verb tense here is present tense. So he's about to write and describe in the book of Revelation the things which are consisting of essentially those things which he sees concerning the current conditions of the seven churches in Asia Minor as recorded in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. The third thing that he is charged to write are the things which shall be hereafter this consists of those things that are recorded in Revelation chapter 4 through 22 now notice the verb tense here again is changed again it is now future tense things which shall be hereafter and so I think most scholars agree and I agree that uh, the future tense is used to depict those things which are described uh, in Revelation chapter 4 through 22 although Uh, and the majority of of things that John sees clearly are in the future, but they're not exclusively in the future. For example, we're going to get a flashback in Revelation chapter 12 that takes us all the way back to the premortal existence. So don't let that fool you saying everything uh, future tense is about the future because it's things that he's going to see in the future, some of which relate to that happened in the past now this Greek uh, phrase that is rendered hereafter in this particular verse means after these things in other words after John sees the condition of the seven churches in their current condition then the hereafter means after I show you these current conditions then I want you then to record the things that are going to happen in chapters 4 through 22. And so keep in mind that the book of Revelation is primarily a prophetic book that deals mostly with the second coming. And it begins in Revelation 4, which starts out saying, quote, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Notice how John in Revelation 4.1 uses the same verbiage that he uses here in Revelation one nineteen. In other words, in verse 1 of chapter 4, John is told by an angel, I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And that's the same information and language or phraseology that you find in Revelation one nineteen that talks about things which shall be hereafter. So the two have um, a connectedness by the use of the same words, which tends to confirm that when John is told to write the vision of things which must be hereafter, the starting point for things hereafter would be verse one in Revelation chapter four. Now it's kind of interesting that uh, Nephi was able to see many of the same things that John saw in his vision Uh, When we look at 1st Nephi chapter 14, this is part of what is called the Apocalypse of Nephi. And in that verse, Nephi was specifically told by an angel the following, quote, And behold, the things which this apostle of the Lamb shall write are many things which thou hast seen. And behold, the remainder shalt thou see. Period. Close quote. So here in this verse we see, Nephi being told that you're going to see a whole bunch of things that John the Revelator saw, um, but you're not going to be able to write them all because that job was given to John the Revelator to write the things which uh, he saw, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. And so Nephi's version is a somewhat limited version, even though he actually got to see everything that John got to see. And I discuss this more in my first podcast that I did back on September 30th, 2023. That podcast is entitled, John, He's the Guy. (laughs) The essence of that uh, podcast is how John was foreordained to write the Revelation and the content of the book that we now call the Book of Revelation. So if you look at this uh, direction that John is given here in verse 19, you'll notice that the content is specifically dictated by what Christ tells John to write in this bush and in a sense uh, Revelation 119 serves as a table of contents or an outline for the entire book and so John is he's kind of like a good lawyer (laughs) you know don't hold that against me but uh, he the, the reason I say that is because when a lawyer is making his closing argument with a jury and to persuade the the jurors about his or her particular point of view, uh, we have a certain rule that we kind of follow about how a closing argument is supposed to go and so essentially the what you learn from all of these uh, continuing legal education courses is you you tell the jurors what you're going to tell them. Then you tell them what you're, it is that you want them to know, and then you tell them what you told them. <laughs> so, this is John at the introduction of his closing argument. He's about to, he's telling us what he's going to tell us, right? And uh, somewhere in this process, you hope. That uh, the jurors uh, can remember what it is that you're saying. Now, I do have to say as an aside, the other thing that they typically tell you in these uh, continuing legal education courses is half the jurors make up their mind after the opening statement. (laughs) <laughs> so long before you ever get to your closing argument, the jurors already made up their mind based on what you told them, and what the other guy told them, uh, in the opening statement. So, uh, Hopefully, as we embark on uh, the book of Revelation, uh, you haven't all already made up your mind about uh, what it is that John's about to tell us. You have an open mind, you've your heart is open, and you're uh, uh, willing to listen to the Spirit as it prompts you to learn new things going through the book of Revelation. But, you know, based on uh, what we've already seen about the vision of Jesus Christ... I'm hopeful that you've already made up your mind about him, at least, and what you've already seen in the visions that we find in Revelation chapter 1. Now, notice uh, how in this verse, as I've mentioned, we we have three things. Things past, things now, things future. So, what are the things, things, things that John is really talking about? And we find this, I think, reflected in Doctrine and Covenants section ninety three twenty four, which states, quote, And the truth is knowledge of things as they are and as they were and as they are to come close quote so we get this same threesome of things past present and future only in this context it's talking about truth and that's essentially what the book of revelation consists of truth of things past truth of things present and truth of things That are yet future and it's it's not just things it's this truth which is defined here in verse 24 of section 93 as knowledge of things and so keep in mind that this isn't saying truth is a knowledge of things or it's not saying truth is the knowledge of thing truth is knowledge Knowledge itself, information, intelligence, light, spirit, truth is the sum of all existence as we have in one of our uh, Latter-day Saint hymns called, "O oh, Say What is Truth. And so it's very important to understand this concept. Elder John Widso, uh, who was an apostle in the uh, church, said, quote, Truth is synonymous with accurate knowledge or a product of it. Close quote. And so if we kind of dive into this concept of truth just a little bit more, it's kind of interesting to note that in the American dictionary used during Joseph Smith's lifetime, truth was defined as, quote, conformity to fact or reality, exact accordance with that which is or has been or shall be. Quote. Now, I doubt if you look in your dictionary today or if you want to uh, check out Google's dictionary or whatever it comes up on, that, that's not what the definition is going to be. We live in a very uh, relativistic world and everything is considered, there is no absolute truth. Everything's relative, right? Uh, but that wasn't the way it was in the time of John because he's talking about truth, truth of a knowledge. Uh, which is knowledge of things past, present, and future. And it doesn't change. It's it's something that doesn't change day to day. It doesn't change based on uh, social norms or uh, relativism that exists in the world today. And so uh, as we embark on this uh, greater study of the book of Revelation, you have to keep in mind that it's truth, absolute truth, whether it be past, things present, Things future it doesn't really matter. So let's move on. We'll talk briefly about uh, Revelation chapter one verse twenty, which states, quote, "The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches." Close quote. Now, this verse is largely giving us information that we've covered in in, uh, prior podcasts. It's going back and saying, remember... I talked about these seven stars and now I'm giving you an explanation of what they are. I also talked about these seven golden candlesticks and now I'm giving you an explanation as to what they are so there's no confusion you have that foundation to build on as you continue the visions that you're going to see because these are going to be images that are going to be repeated so the Lord felt that it was important for John to understand these particular symbols in the book of Revelation as well as John's hearers and the readers of the book of Revelation so that you kind of have this little bit of a foundation to build on. So we've kind of covered them already and I'm not going to go into them in greater detail but I want to talk about for just a moment the concept of mystery because that's the word that is used here in Revelation 120 when it talks about the mystery of the seven stars and the mystery of the seven golden candlesticks. Here they are explained, so they really are no longer a mystery. But what is a mystery? It's basically something that is hidden. It can be something obscure, unknown, up until the point, of course, when it's disclosed. Once it's disclosed, then it's no longer really a mystery. Now, most of the mysteries, when we think of uh, the church, when we think of the gospel, when we think of scripture and the mysteries, most mysteries deal with the end of time or what we would call eschatological events and so once that it's disclosed a mystery then becomes clear and it becomes as comprehensible as any other truth and typically and almost always the mystery is something that has to be revealed through the spirit and through the power of revelation it can be a divine or direct revelation Uh, it can be something that comes through the still small voice it can be something that is revealed to us as in this for case of this verse where the Lord actually tells us what the mystery is so that we have the benefit of the Lord's revelation specifically recorded in scripture and so essentially until that time when you you get these things revealed uh, the truth is oftentimes revealed through these symbols that remain mysterious until they are explained and now that these have been explained to John they're no longer a mystery now many symbols are based on a number of different things they include symbols that are based on nature Symbols that are based on known facts symbols based on customs or a general opinion something that people are generally Familiar with and these objects that are generally known from nature facts customs general opinion Whatever it might be we take those and it gets incorporated into some type of truth or Gospel principle that makes them kind of like they 're a mystery and lets you understand the connection between the symbol and the truth that is being expounded upon now. Let me illustrate this just a little bit with uh, (laughs) a movie quote Uh, so to set the stage hopefully you've had the opportunity to see the uh, very adorable movie called babe it's the story about the little pig that is saved from uh, the butcher shop he ends up on hoggett farm and of course all the animals including the pig called babe can talk and communicate and everything like that and uh, so one morning shortly after Babe had arrived at Hoggett Farm, uh, Fly, the uh, female dog, uh, was uh, walking with Babe and they're headed toward the uh, the farmhouse. And uh, the dogs go in and the puppies all go in to get some chow and uh, Fly stops Babe at the door and says, you can't go in. <laughs> no pigs allowed in the house right and uh, so fly basically explains to uh, babe that uh, pigs and other farm animals other than dogs and cats are not allowed in the farm and she says that's just the way things are (laughs) and so essentially uh, when we think about things like symbols Uh, that are based on nature, known facts, customer general, opinion. Uh, these symbols are, they're based on things that that's just the way things are. And if we accept the way things are, and then incorporate them into a symbol, then it it helps us to learn something and it teaches us something this is why the Savior so often in his parables relies on plants and uh, you know the olive tree um, the fig tree and other things like this that the way that these things operate in real life are just the way things are and if once you understand that you can translate that into the imagery of symbols. Now, I also have to tell you that uh, the way things are is not always absolute, right? (laughs) So around my house growing up, uh, we wouldn't allow dogs or cats in the house either. So we didn't allow pigs, uh, but we didn't allow dogs or cats either. And at, um, at our house, that's the way things are. And so keep in mind that the way things are Again, are known facts and customs that are generally known, and so I think we're. Uh, if we rely on the Hoggett farm as the way things are, you get one kind of outcome. If you rely on the way it was at the Casanet house, you get a slightly different outcomes. Now, I, it just turns out so happens that um, if the Casanet household, excluding dogs from the house, is consistent with what John had revealed to him in the Book of Revelation, because in <laughs> In Revelation chapter 22, verse 15, which depicted the celestial kingdom. Uh, you, so John's having a vision of those who are allowed into the celestial kingdom. And what does he say? For without are dogs. <laughs> So, if you take the way things are at the Casanet house, dogs being excluded, then that would be a good symbol for the Celestial Kingdom. And certainly, it doesn't mention cats, but I'm sure they should be excluded, too, from the Celestial Kingdom. <laughs> Sorry to all you cat lovers. I, I really am a dog lover, even though we wouldn't allow them in the house. I am a dog lover, not a cat lover. So, my apologies to you cat lovers, but uh, in in the way things are in my kingdom, the cats are also without with the dogs. Uh and of course uh this this concept of going, back, going back to p- babe just as like pigs of course would not be allowed in heaven either because according to Jewish custom uh they were considered unclean and there were, you couldn't even associate with pigs. So uh you know uh <laughs> We've taken the analogy far enough. We can have a lot of fun with, babe. But at any rate, we need to move on. So notice that in uh, verse 20, it talks about these seven stars. And, and Christ, as I mentioned, is now explaining the meaning of the seven stars that John saw us in the right hand of Christ. Uh, I discussed this previously in a podcast on January 21st of 2024. And so if you want to get more details on what the seven stars are, you can go back and take a look there. But in a nutshell, or a short version, this is telling us that Christ has the seven leaders of the seven churches of Asia in his right hand and upon his right hand the right hand of course being the favorable or preferred position this is confirmed in Matthew chapter 25 verses 32 through 33 which states quote and before Christ shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats and he shall set the sheep on his right hand but the goats on the left, close quote, and so, you know, I've used this verse a lot of times in uh, speaking, because, you know, you'll know by now, if you've listened to any of my podcasts, uh, I'm a a sheep man at heart, I grew up on a sheep ranch, and so (laughs) I'm a sheep guy, and uh, so from, as I would talk about the, this particular verse and everybody knowing knew that I was a sheepman, I get up and I talk about these sheep, these loving sheep, these cuddly sheep, these wonderful sheep, tender sheep, yes, precious sheep. <laughs> because that's what Jesus is telling us, right? The goats are on the left. Those nasty, tick-ridden, low-life goats, they're on the left. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> At any rate, the point is, is that the right hand is the preferred or favorable hand now, I have to add one other little uh, footnote here to all of this. It was kind of fun because back when I was in Sacramento giving my talks on all kinds of sheep, there was this Brother Montgomery in the Sacramento stake. He used to be the stake president of the stake, and we, we got along very well. We we were always ribbing each other about something. Well, Brother Montgomery grew up in Heber, Utah, where they had a cattle ranch. <laughs> so right here in the middle of our sacrament meetings and sometimes even in state conference we'd have the range wars going on where i'm quoting about how great sheep are and i'd always have to say some uh despicable remark about the cattlemen and the range wars and stuff like that it's a it's amazing that the stake even survived <laughs> but we did uh so there's just some some points of uh and uh, jostling and joking around but anyway so go back and check out my podcast from January 21st if you want to get more information about the uh, the seven leaders of the church represented as these uh, seven stars they really represent seven servants which John is explaining here the other thing that John explains here very briefly are that the seven candlesticks uh, are representative or symbolic of the seven churches and again I go through this in some detail in the prior podcast from January 21st, uh, 24. Um And that, if, just go back and look at that one. So I, in that podcast, one of the things to keep in mind is to distinguish between what is a candlestick and what is really a lamp stand that's what's being talked about here and the fact that here we're talking about seven independent lamp stands as distinguished from the one stemmed manure and there are reasons for that which i've already explained and so uh, all of these symbols as i mentioned are things that john's going to use now as he writes his individual letters to the seven churches. So that kind of concludes my uh, discussion of these particular uh, verses. It's, as I mentioned, kind of a short podcast today. Thanks to Jenna Daly for all her help on the technical end. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. Now the takeaway from today I guess is, uh, be a sheep, don't be a goat. (laughs) But if you have to be anything uh, other than a goat, then you could be a cow. (laughs) And you could be a cattleman. So tomorrow, Uh, We're going to begin our individual discussion about verses uh, in Revelation chapter 2 through 3 that are the uh, chapters that John is writing to the uh, seven churches. And our focus tomorrow is going to be on uh, the Ephesian saints in Revelation chapter 2, 1 through 3. Now, one other thing I guess I, I hasten to add is that in a previous podcast on November 5th, of 2023, I discussed the geopolitical conditions of the seven churches. Uh, Mostly I was talking about the the cities themselves and and not so much about the churches and the membership in the churches. So if you wanna get a good foundational understanding about all the geopolitical conditions that the members of the churches were facing, go back and listen to the previous podcast on November 5th and November 12th. I actually had two of them, but the first one on November 5th discusses the city of Ephesus and the geopolitical conditions that existed, what what the city was like uh, on a social level and things like that, some of the other religious beliefs that were prevalent. and I'll touch on them a little bit as we go on, but again, if you really want to know more about them, then um, that's the place you should go. Now, one other question that you should be asking yourself as we go into chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation is why do I care about these seven churches anyway and to me that's like asking why do I care about all the war chapters in the Book of Mormon right that, that question gets asked because remember Nephi was told you should only write on these plates the things that are really important and very sacred. And that was the admonition that got passed down from prophet to prophet who wrote in the Book of Mormon. And yet, as we go into the Book of Alma uh, that covers just these years and many chapters of the warfare between the Lamanites and the Nephites fighting with their their bows and their arrows, swords, scimitars, clubs, slings, uh, all of this stuff. And it's like Why do we even have all this? It would be a lot easier to read the Book of Mormon annual if I just get rid of all the war chapters. (laughs) It would be a lot shorter book. Makes it easier to read and follow the admonitions of the prophets to read the Book of Mormon. But those things teach us. These things have spiritual meaning to them. Uh, Not only how is it that we survive spiritually in a world today where there are wars going on of a spiritual nature all around us. And it's only a short time before there are going to be physical wars where teams are going to be divided along the same kind of lines of religious and non-religious and irreligious and a-religious. I mean, uh, all of these things are going to come down to it and they're not going to be just spiritual battles. There's going to be physical warfare involved also and so that's why we need uh the war chapters helping us to appreciate that but it's the same reason we have a discussion of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. These seven churches represent the universal church. They represent the church of today. If you want to see what is going on today spiritually and what the Lord has admonished us to, to do and how to overcome many of the challenges that we're presented with spiritually today, read about the seven churches of Asia. And you get seven different examples or illustrations of things that happened to them and how they overcame and the consequences of those that fail to overcome. So essentially, they represent the church today. They represent you they represent me. As I read about these individuals, I say, you know, I I see in that group of saints a little bit of myself. Now, that can be a positive thing in some of the churches. It can be a negative thing in other kinds of the, the things that are said about the members of these churches. But the bottom line is they represent us today. So be prepared. Uh, gird up your loins. I'll see you tomorrow on another Unveiling Jesus Christ. And we're going to learn about ourselves as we study the seven churches in Asia.